1: And thank you, by the way, for many emails I've received saying how much you appreciate that I programmed the scary stuff in the first part of the show as opposed to the latter. Uh, Folks seem to be able to drift off to sleep much easier, apparently. Well, come to think of it, uh, having your audience being lulled into sleep might not be such a good bragging point, but I do get it. Well, we'll keep that format as we present Escape, and a program first aired in 1950. Now, many story premises, both originals and adaptations, involved a protagonist in dire life-or-death straits, and the series featured more science fiction and supernatural tales than, say, suspense. Escape brings together everything that was good about old-time radio drama rolled into one. The title itself almost sums up the very essence of what radio drama is all about— Each of the episodes was a micro-drama, carefully planned to capture the listeners' attention for 30 minutes. And we hope we can sidetrack your troubles and replace them with another great story here. This episode is entitled, Three Skeleton Key.
2: Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all?
3: We offer you... Escape! Escape! Escape designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure.
2: Tonight, we escape to a lonely lighthouse off the steaming jungle coast of French Guiana and a nightmare world of terror and violence as we bring you again in response to hundreds of requests Three Skeleton Key... Starring Vincent Price.
4: Picture this place. A gray tapering cylinder welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself. A bare black rock, 150 feet long, maybe 40 wide. That's at low tide. At high tide just the lighthouse rising 110 feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it, the churning water, gray, green scum dappled, warm as soup, and swarming with gigantic bat-like devilfish, great violet schools, of Portuguese man-of-war. and yes, the sharks, the big ones, the 15-footers. And as if this weren't enough, There was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland, a wind that smelled like death, a wind that had smelled the slow and frightful death that came one night to this bare black rock. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door, and in you went, and out. Yes, up and up and round and round, past the tanks of oil and the coils of rope, casks of wicks, racks of lanterns, sacks of spuds and cartons and cans, and up and up and up, round and round. Over the light store room was the food store room, and over the food store room was the bunk room where the three of us slept. And over the bunk room was the living and cooking room, and over the living and cooking room was the light. She was a beauty, big steel and bronze baby with the sun gleaming through the glass walls all about, bouncing blinding little beams off the big shining reflectors, glittering and refracting through her lenses, the whole gigantic bulk of her balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of her rotary mechanism. She was a sweetheart of a light. And at night, you'd lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with her revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, easing her bright white eye 360 degrees around the horizon. You'd lie there watching to see that the feeders kept working, that everything ran right. And it wouldn't be bad, the other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down. You'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind, and it wouldn't be bad. About those other two, Louis and Auguste, what a pair. Louis, he was head man, was a big fellow from the Basque country, black beard, little hard black eyes, and a pair of arms that I tell you those arms were as big around as my legs. Yes, head man he was, and what word he let go was law. A silent fellow, and although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a real conversation the most I could ever get out of him was... John, I took up this profession because I don't like people. They want to talk too much.
2: It's quiet work, light-tending. Let's keep it that way. You, you're getting to be as bad as August. I thought maybe for once they'd send me
4: somebody... That was Louis. When he accused me of becoming like August, I quieted down. Because August was the talkingest man I'd ever met. The talkingest and the ugliest. He was hunchbacked, stood four feet high, had red hair and big blue eyes. It seems he'd been an actor in Paris. Yes,
5: indeed. Played in over 200 different productions, dear boy, at the Grand Guignol. Oh, but it was monstrous, horrible, the way we used to scare the audiences. I- I was hated. Yes, yes, they used to throw things and hiss and bare their teeth at me. Finally, it got too bad. I couldn't stand it any longer. I gave up the theater. My nerves, you understand. Yes, gave it up completely. I really did. Couldn't stand it any longer.
4: It all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe. Staring out at the blackness, the phosphorescent combers, and the big yellow stars, when out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second. Something the light had touched, far off. I waited for her to come around again, and when she did, there it was. A three-master, a big one, about a half mile off, and coming down out of the north-northwest, coming straight for us. You must understand our light was where it was for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us and ships kept clear. But this one, this sailing vessel, was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and yelled, "Lory! Lory!" Couldn't understand it. I waited for the light to come around again.
6: What is that? Ship headed for the reef! Hurry right up!
4: I had the glasses out. Now, I couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly. All sails set, the foam creaming away under her bow, her beautiful lines. A Dutch ship, I guessed her. But why didn't she turn? Every time it passed, our light hit her with the glare of day.
6: Ship.
4: Where? North, northwest. The light will touch her in a moment. Can't they see? Look at her. She just keeps coming on. Yeah, the square head. What
5: is it? What is it?
4: Watch north, northwest.
5: I know. I know what it is.
4: Huh? What?
5: The Dutchman. The flying Dutchman. We did a play about her once. Oh, what a performance. You ghastly galleon, hag-ridden, cursed ribbon, must
6: Shut up, her... will you?
4: She's luffing. Yes. Sloppy way to come about. She's derelict, that's it. Derelict? Abandoned, The crew left her for some reason or other. But instead of sinking, she's gone on, running before every wind.
5: She'll not run long. Not with these reefs to break her up.
4: A beautiful ship. Now, why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? She didn't ram us, although we all expected it. But as we waited for the crash, she left again, caught some odd gust and went about. We watched her the rest of those black hours, healing and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came, till the sea turned from black to a pearly gray. And on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. August, you can kill the light. Right, Chief? She doesn't look so good by daylight. Think she'll ground this time? What? I say, do you think she'll ground this time? Yeah?
2: This is impossible. Huh? Absolutely impossible. What?
4: Here, take my glasses. They're better than yours. All right. And what is it you? I had to focus, and then my breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with a dark brown carpet that looked like a gigantic fungus, but undulating. And on the masts and yards, the guys and all were hundreds, no thousands, no... Mi- I don't know, an endless number of enormous rats. See them? Yes, I see them. Now we know why she's derelict. Yes, now we know.
5: What are you two doing? Yeah, give me a look.
4: Yes, give him the glasses. Take a good look box, give you something to
3: talk about.
4: She's still heading for us. Yes. <sighs> she's going to turn. She better turn soon. <clears throat> suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? <clears throat> it's slow tide. Yes. Yes, it is. Where's all the conversation, August, huh? Here, want the glasses again? What another look? No, no. She's still coming on. Go away!
6: Away. Turn, will you?
5: Turn, I say, I pray you, turn. She's up. The rats, look, on the
6: water, like a
4: carpet. They're swimming. Sure, they're swimming. Those are ships, rats, but they're swimming for the rocks. The door below, it's open. Come on. We went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three and four at a time. Scared? You bet we were scared. August, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb. We don't know. Gracie!
6: But hide it! Hide
4: Look. See them? No. Oh, yes, I do. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at the millions. P- they smell us. Here they come. Close the door.
6: I can't. I can't. It's yeah. Let me... Oh, move. He <laughs> made it.
4: Holy... That was close. One guy in. Look, there.
6: Get him! He was as big as
4: a tarp, bigger. And his eyes were wild and red, his teeth long and sharp and yellow... He went for us, starved and ravenous, and we fought him, fought that one rat all over the room. It was, oh, believe me, I do not exaggerate, it was like fighting a cancer. Got him. we better get aloft. As so we ran up the winding staircase, we passed the tiny windows of the various levels, and at every one was a thick, wriggling, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louis, and I dreaded each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Look at them! Will you look at them? It's a
5: nightmare. Will you look at
4: them? The air of the gallery was thick and jetted with the stink of them. The light was dim, brown, filtered through the crawling mass that swarmed over the glass all about us. I could not see the sky. Nothing, nothing but them. Their red eyes, their claws, their wriggling, hairy snouts, their teeth. The we screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving. And we three, we stood very quietly. Oh, very, very quietly in the center of the classroom under our beautiful light. And we waited. What can we do? What can we do? To- Take it easy, old man. Take it easy. I can't. I just can It won't do any good to stand here and shake. Yeah, that's right. Anybody want a cigarette?
6: Yes, yes, I have one. Thank you.
4: Good boy. We've got to keep calm about this thing. Here's a light. There
6: they
5: don't light the fire, do they? (laughs) Guess not. Give me another match. Uh, You don't like that much, do you like. Don't wild them, August. Give me some more matches. I'll strike them and strike them and strike them until they get scared and go away. They won't go away. (laughs) Not until.
4: When is it, Jim?
5: Not until
4: what? Not until they've been fed. Take just so much horror and then you get used to it. And they were interesting to watch, you know. They couldn't understand the glass. They could see us and they could rush at us, but that thin invisible barrier held them off, stopped them. From time to time, we caught a glimpse of the rocks below. More rats down there, swarming brown velvet in the bright tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise only it'd drown some of them. Ships
5: rats don't drown. <laughs> no, sir, you cannot drown one of them. They're all climbing up the tower.
4: This bunch around us is getting thicker. Yeah. Say, what's the time?
6: Quarter six.
4: You've got first watch, John. Right. Uh, wake me at ten. I will. Come along, Everest. Was... It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit a soft, filtered red sunset through the racks. Oh, very pretty. I set the wicks, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamps. It caught them, lit them in their gigantic wriggling web of pale hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. Then I started the rotary motors. The drove them mad as she swung slowly and smoothly about. She blinded them in the fierce, stabbing bar of light, moving continually about of a turning, of a touching, of a moving around and around, and they twitching and shuddering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light. The bright light moving, and behind on the dark side of the room, so close, so close, I dared not turn my back, but you cannot help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass... On the dark side of the room, you could not see them, but only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank red light blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. Louis relieved me at ten, but I didn't get much sleep that night, and when I came up into the gallery early next morning... There stood August, his back to me. He was bowing to the rats, waving his arms and making a
5: speech. I am going to play once again that magnificent role which made me the toast of the parish theater. Pray, latte, the evil genius of the medieval underworld. I am he who did guide the dark soul of the marechal into the nether parts. <laughs> Do not be frightened, little children. I will not Step hurt pain. you. I My... stood staring at him,
4: horror struck but he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving no one out. August! August! August!
5: Ah, another one. A comer. Take a seat on the aisle, dear patron. Move stop. over there. Stop it. Let the gentleman be but seated. he didn't Come. Stop. Come.
4: He went on, oh. bowing and scraping to the rats, his big blue eyes rolling and winking, his wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arm. face. He looked at me like a child. And then his face screwed up. He looked as though he were about to cry. Go below, go on.
5: Oh, very well then. Later, my dear audience, later. Matinee today.
4: Sure, he was crazy. But I guess we all were. A few hours later he came back up and caught Louie and me teasing the rats. Yes. Sounds horrible? (laughs) It was fun. We could get right up against the glass and make faces at them. It drove them crazy. They would scratch away trying to get at our eyes. Louis was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. The rats would scramble into a solid ball, biting each other, clustering like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall the 110 feet to the surf below.
6: Sharks. They're eating them.
4: Ah, the sharks are our friends. I'll get another bunch together. Yeah, my beauty. That's it. I love kill each
6: other. There they go.
4: Auguste joined in, too. Oh, very ingenious, Auguste. He learned that if he spread-eagled himself against the glass, they bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he'd leap back. Look! My portrait in rats. It went on all day. And then I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired and I was just beginning to fall off to sleep when I became conscious of a new sound. Couldn't figure it at first. I got up, lit the lamp, and went to the window. Even as I looked at it, I saw one of the panes begin to sag in. They had eaten the wood away. Louis, Louis, come uh, quick. What? What is it? They found a way in. I held the glass with my hand. Now they were all going crazy, and assured of the success of this maneuver, were all nibbling away at the wood. Louis ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. We spread it against the window and hammered it into place. Even as we did so, we felt the heavy body scudding against the other side as the window gave way.
7: That ought to hold. If it doesn't,
4: we're done for. Rats can't eat tin. No, they can't. So what was that? I don't know. It came from below.
1: The storeroom window.
4: Huh. They're in. They're swarming up the stairs. Oh, Drop the trap. Right. Yeah. Two of them got in.
3: Let's go after them.
4: We didn't have to go after them. They came at us. I leaped to one side and grabbed a marlin spike, swung and smashed one in mid-air. No! I whirled to see Louie with the other. It had ripped his hand open and the blood was pouring all over the place. He held his handle off and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped and swung and got him. My hand! He got
5: my hand! That's
4: both of them, Louis. I'll, I'll get you something to tie that up.
5: Blood! Look at it, my... I'm... Blood! I'm bleeding!
4: Now, don't worry about it, Louie. Here, look. look. I'll wind this kerchief around it. It'll be okay. Blood! There, now. It's not bad, just the flesh. And then I became conscious of another new sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trap door. I watched the wood fascinated. Even as I did, it began to give way. And a bristling, whiskery nose showed through. Louis, Louis, we've got to go up. Next level was the living quarters in the kitchen. I slammed the trap door there, too. But it, too, was wood. Uh, my blood. What are we going to do? Hell no. We'll be through this one in a moment. The gallery. The trap door in the gallery is metal. Good. Come on. We made it. We lay across the trapdoor, exhausted. While below us, the rats took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, our water, our leather. And all about us, the others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mass, hypnotized by the ever-turning light. By morning, the air in the little room was horrible. Until now, we'd been getting air from the tower below. Now that was sealed off, and so was all our food and water. We lay exhausted, panting, waiting, waiting, and the hours crawled on. I was almost dozing from fatigue when I
6: saw a sight that brought me too fast.
5: (laughs) Would you like to come in, my dear, dear Would you? I hold the powers of life and death, and I can let you in with
6: all.
4: August was standing <laughs> by the glass, and in one hand, he held a wrench. <laughs> he was tapping the glass gently, not quite hard <laughs> enough to break it. <laughs> I used to my feet, and slowly, very slowly, it toward him.
5: All I have to do is tap just a little harder. <laughs>
4: I found a coil of wire in the tool kit And I trussed him up Fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room Louis was of no help He lay on his side looking at his bloody hand Weak and sick as a baby So there I was, a lunatic and a coward for company And all about watching our little drama The Rats The day dragged by The supply boat wasn't due for another 12 days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. We had only one way of summoning them, and that was to shoot off distress rockets, but the rockets were four floors below. And even if they'd been right there in the gallery, I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. At night, I tended the light, but its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day we lay, thirst-tormented, starving, waiting, waiting, and the following night I again tended the light, but the small supply of spare waking we kept in the gallery had become exhausted, and quite suddenly, about midnight, the light went out. There's nothing I could do. Wicks were stored three levels below. Nothing I could do. Nothing... From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock. When I did, it lit up the million red eyes about us. All about us. Watching. Waiting. Below, it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned us out, and now they, too, were waiting. All waiting. And then, the rats, quite suddenly, were silent. And then I heard it. And then I saw the sky and the stars. The rats were gone. I went to the glass. Out there on the water, a small freighter, a banana boat, showing a few lights, came softly and innocently at us. The light was out. They didn't know. I wanted to open the windows to call out to them, to warn them somehow, but I was afraid. What if what if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef not 200 yards from the quay. Grounded so gently that the man playing the cornet, was he a passenger true man off watch didn't even stop playing. They tried washing her back off. I could have told them to save their fuel. The tide was rising, would have floated her free. And I waited. the story. The sun came up and there wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had left us, gone back to sea on their new ship. August, insane Asylum, he never recovered. And Louis, they took him into Cayenne where he died of blood poisoning from his bite. Uh, oh, yes. Well, that's the whole of it. If you'll excuse me now, I must go set my traps. No, no mouse traps. No rats in this lighthouse, I should say not. Life in the lights isn't bad. But sometimes when I see a strange vessel approaching, I get a little nervous, sure. Somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew.
3: Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Three Skeleton Key by George Taddeus, adapted for radio by James Poe and starring Vincent Price as Jean. Supporting Mr. Price, where Harry Bartell as August and Jeff Corey as Louis. Sound effects on Three Skeleton Key, created by Cliff Thorsness and executed today by Mr. Thorsness, Gus Bays and Jack Sixsmith, have been awarded the best of the year by Radio and Television Life magazines. Harry Esman was at the control panel, and special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week.
2: You are swimming for your life in the dangerous waters off the Florida Gulf Coast, about to be smashed by a launch carrying a vicious criminal who must kill you or die himself and on shore 500 yards away. The police are waiting to arrest you for murder. And there can be no escape.
3: Next week, we escape with an exciting tale of temptation and death on the Gulf Coast of Florida. As John and Gwen Bagney tell it in Danger at Matacumba. Goodbye then until the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. A Patch of Weeds. A boxer's biography and a mild, lukewarm bath, they're all clues that lead the police of Jackson, Michigan, to a killer in the gangbuster story on CBS this Saturday night. It's the case of the double push to be heard on most of these same CBS stations this Saturday night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and his little wooden friend Charlie McCarthy next on Theater of the Mind time now for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy who are set to welcome their special guest distinguished actor Edward Arnold
8: The makers of Taste and Soundborne Coffee bring you the Charlie McCarthy show This is Ken Carpenter, ladies and gentlemen, greeting you on behalf of Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Ray Noble, and his orchestra, Nita Gordon, Waterford Stern, Pat Patrick, and our special guest this evening, Edward Arnold. And here's Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy! Yippee. Well, hello, hello,
9: Bergie, old pal, Bergen. hello. Yes, hello, Charlie. Yes. You look kind of worried, Bergie. Well, there is something on my mind All right, Bergie, Brush your long, wavy locks out of your eyes And tell little Charlie all about it Well, I... I just received a letter A letter? Say, things are picking up, aren't they? This... this was an important letter It means that I may not be around much for a while Uh Uh-oh So they finally caught up with you, huh? No. It's a sort of a... sort of a summons. Oh, a summons. Caught speeding in your rocking chair? No, no.
1: (laughs) You don't understand. Oh,
9: yes, I do, Bertie. And no matter what you've done, old pal, I'll forgive you. We all make mistakes. Especially me. (laughs) (laughs) I've done nothing wrong according to this letter, I'll have to sit on a jury for several weeks. Uh Oh, how how long does it take to hatch one? No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) A jury is composed of 12 good men and true. Well, where do you fit in? Well, they evidently need me. Need you? Boy, they're sure scraping the bottom of
6: the barrel, aren't they?
9: <laughs> I know justice is blind, but this is ridiculous. No, no. <laughs> Nevertheless, Charlie, the jurors have to use their brains. And I, I must be fairly intelligent. Otherwise, how I, how could I have gotten where I am today? Well, you know the right people. <laughs> <laughs> Namely me.
6: <isn't> <laughs> That
9: must hurt you. <laughs> I still say that I'm as intelligent as the next one around here. That's right, that's right. And on this program, the next one around here is Martin the know...
6: Yeah.
9: <laughs> yes. Well, it's not easy being a juror. You have to sit for hours and hours on end. Well, I can't think of any other position. <laughs> well not. <laughs> what? Well, what worries me is this this jury will will interfere with my work. What
6: work <laughs> <laughs> oh, are
9: Are you insinuating that I that I don't work? Oh, come now, Bergen. Do you deny that the loafer jacket was named after you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, you have to admit that I that I work hard here as a comedian. Uh yeah, well, yes, you you're the funny fellow, ain't I? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's anything that would excuse me from jury duty. Let me see. Well, there ought to be something there. must be a, an age limit on that sort of thing. Well, I think you're right, Charlie. Yeah. Yes. Maybe I am too young.
6: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you
9: fool, you. <laughs> Take it all back, Bergen. I guess you are a comedian after all. Yes. If I could think of something to disqualify me. Well, you're a ventriloquist, aren't you? Yes. Why don't you plead insanity? No.
6: Now,
9: wait a minute. There's illness. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and come to think of it, I haven't been feeling up to snuff lately. Well, what's wrong? Well, I don't know. There's... uh, Sometimes, sometimes my head, it, it feels kind of fuzzy. Oh, that's wishful thinking. No, no. <laughs> oh, I just lay for those, yeah. <laughs> well, if I don't think of something soon, I guess I'll just have to donate my services. Well, I donate The fella next door served on the jury, and he says you get paid two bucks a day for that. Do you mean I get two dollars a day each day I'm in court? Yeah, that's what you call a, a portal to cartel. <laughs> oh, <I see>.
6: yeah. <laughs> well,
9: you know, Charlie, serving on a jury is one civic duty. Uh-huh. I wouldn't feel right in my mind if I if I didn't take that responsibility. You wouldn't be right in your mind if you didn't take that but two bucks, or right. <laughs>
3: Charlie. If it, it 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 just just wasn't the two dollars a day that that decided me.
6: No,
9: of course not. The fact that you couldn't get out of it helped a lot too, you know.
8: <laughs> a wonderful tune played by Ray Noble and his orchestra. Zippity doo dah.
10: Do do
9: Well, if it isn't Mortimer's nerve my friend, my chum, my co worker. Oh gosh, I'm quite a crowd, ain't I? Yeah.
6: <laughs>
9: Say what, what's this you got on the end of your finger? That's me. Uh, No, no, no,
1: no. I mean
9: the other end? Oh. Why? I mean, what is this string? The string. Why did you tie it there? Oh, let's see. Now, let me see.
1: Uh...
9: Why did you tie the string on your finger? Oh, let's see. uh, Maybe my finger was loose. No, no. no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Quiet, please. Quiet. It must be there to rem- uh, for you to remember something, isn't it? Yeah. What? I don't know.
6: Yeah.
9: I'm asking you. Well, will go right ahead. Yeah, yeah. Think now. What does the string remind you of? Oh, the string. Yeah. What does it remind you of? Oh, uh, see, it's uh, more string. No, no. Oh, no, no. no, Mortimer. Use your head. Think hard. Yeah. All right. <laughs>
3: I don't want to bust nothing.
9: No. No? You
6: don't know?
9: No. Mortimer, you've got a memory like a sieve. No? Yeah. No. Well, I don't want to strain it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That was supposed to be comical. Yeah, I know. I I do those things once in a while. (laughs) Yeah. Suppose... I suppose you know that poor memory goes with inferior intellect. You don't say. Yes. <laughs> oh, but they make a nice couple. Yes. <laughs> I'll venture you can't even remember what day this is today. Uh, what day? Yes. Uh, today? Yes. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, uh, why, today, today is, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, what, well, uh, uh, well, was last week? <laughs> what day is it? What? You don't know, do you? Oh, well, you got me at a bad time. <laughs> oh, I...
6: <laughs> why?
9: Why? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs>
8: Blur yourself out. No, no, no,
9: What you were trying to remember might have been very important. Yeah. Now, aren't you concerned? No, i Mortimer. Yeah, I know. Oh,
6: ho, ho. Now, quiet,
3: please. Hush off, then. What's that mess out there? No, no, no.
9: <laughs> That's our audience. Looks more like a grunion run. Oh, no. <laughs> Now, uh, careful what you say, Mortimer. These people are your warm friends. Uh, they don't look so hot to me. Oh. If you can't remember why you tie the strings on, maybe you can remember where you got the string. Oh, sure. Well, that's fine. Where? Oh, from a Christmas present. Well, now we're getting someplace. Good. Now, why did you tie the string around your finger? So I wouldn't lose it. So you wouldn't lose it. Why? I'm a string sailor. Oh!
6: I... <laughs> then
9: why, why didn't you say so in the first place? Mortimer, how can you be so stupid? Well, it, it seems like the dumber you are, the easier it is. Yeah, I guess <laughs> A lot of our old friends said they drop in for our anniversary show really, again? Yes, Ray, right, yes. Yes, there, there'll be Rudy Valley, Nelson Eddy, Don Amici, and uh, and Dorothy L'Amour.
6: <laughs> <All right. laughs> and as
9: long as they are all coming over, I think we should show our gratitude and have, uh, well, a little gift for them. Now, let's see, uh, what would we give Nelson Eddy? Well, we could give him some butter for a shortening bread. No, no. <laughs> and of course, there will be other presents to decide on. And since since it is my anniversary, I I'd better leave the room so you fellas can talk it over privately.
7: <laughs> he's so <subtiling>. he? <laughs> well, no, look here, Charlie. What will we get, the old boy?
10: Well, on the tenth anniversary, it's customary to give gifts made of tin. Well, let's
9: let's give him a tin of sardines.
10: Exactly.
7: <laughs> I wonder how he's fixed for tin foil. <laughs>
10: yeah. Oh no, we have to get him something nicer than that. Yeah. I know the car he's driving isn't very good. Well, it runs, but it takes so long to get up steam.
7: <laughs> well, if you think we should ship in and buy him a good used car, yeah. I'll donate fifty dollars, Johnny. Well, good. Now, now,
9: with your fifty and with what I got, uh, that makes around uh, fifty dollars. Yeah.
10: <laughs>
9: Come on, Ray. Let's go shopping, huh? <laughs>
8: From the Metro-Golden-Mare Technicolor Musical till the clouds roll by, Anita Gordon sings Jerome Kern's Look for the Silver Lining.
10: Please don't be offended if I preach to you a while. Tears are out of place in eyes that were meant to smile. There's a way to make your very biggest trouble small. Here's the happy secret of it all, look for the silver lining. Whenever a cloud appears in the blue, remember somewhere the sun is shining. Man Arnold. I'm sorry. He's having lunch with the smiling Irishman and the chuckling Chinaman. Goodbye.
9: Uh, anybody home? Oh, hello. Can I help you? Well, I... Uh... <laughs> Don't tell me that you're the glad man, Arnold.
10: Oh no, I'm his secretary, giggling girl Gordon. (laughs)
11: Well, how do you do? How do you do? Well,
9: if it isn't Edward
6: Arnold. uh... Oh
11: yes, yes, it's a fine day, isn't it? Makes you glad to be alive, doesn't Uh. it?
7: Or are you driving one of our cars? <laughs> uh, so you're glad man, Arnold. You know, I don't understand this. You're Edward Arnold of the cinema. Uh, Why are you running a used car lot?
11: Well, I like it. My doctor advised it because it keeps me outdoors and it comes under the heading of Capital (laughs) gains. Well,
9: you don't look
11: so puny to me. Oh, it isn't that. Ever since I played the role of Diamond Jim Brady, I've been cast in one picture after another as a big capitalist dealing with millions.
7: And so you began to believe it yourself?
11: Oh, yes, yes. I was feeling so much like a millionaire, I even gave away diamonds.
9: Well, let me know next time you get that old feeling, will
6: right?
7: <laughs> <laughs> you? You're a big shot. <laughs> yeah.
11: <laughs> yeah,
6: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> S-
7: say, wait a minute. Uh, That's not so impossible. Well, but what seems to be your exact trouble, old boy? Well, my
11: doctor said I've developed a split personality. I'm two different people.
9: It's too bad you both try to get in the same suit. <laughs>
11: But thanks to this little business, I'm all cured.
7: You mean you're no longer called Diamond Jim Brady? No, no.
11: Now they call me Rhinestone Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me if I have
6: to hold my sides. Yes. <laughs> What's the matter? Is it that funny? <laughs> no. <laughs> my girdle busted. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well,
7: of course, this is neither here nor there. No. You see, uh, we came here because Edgar Bergen is celebrating his 10th anniversary.
6: Uh-huh. And
7: we thought we might buy him something in the way of uh, cheap transportation. Oh, I
11: have just the thing. Mm-hmm. Now, step right out here on the lot, now you can put your entire trust in me, Charlie. Yeah. Why, before I'd let you be cheated, I'd give you the business. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Eh?
9: <laughs>
7: <laughs>
11: now, uh, right here, gentlemen, is a nice custom-built buggy but? with fringe around the top. Yeah,
7: isn't that a trifle old-fashioned? Well, what's Edgar
11: Hepcat?
6: <laughs>
11: it's in good shape because it was driven by a sober old lady who lived in Omaha. Ha-ha, ha-ha, <laughs> Well did
9: she always own it
11: No no she sold it to another sober old lady who lived in Idaho <laughs> <laughs> Well
9: can't you show us something driven by a drunken old man from uh, Tennessee <laughs>
11: Well, gentlemen, now,
7: don't forget this buggy carries our usual
6: 30-minute th-
7: guarantee. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, but look, old oh boy, where's the horse that goes with it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, he
11: asked for a day off to try and pick up a few extra bucks at San Donita. <laughs>
9: All right, don't knock yourself out. It's not that funny. <laughs> I know,
11: I know. It. <laughs> But we could use a good laugh right here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, what can I show you next?
9: How to get out of here. Now, wait a minute. No, no. no, no, wait, no wait, I, wait a minute. I've Probably changed. changed a minute. I've now, changed. Now. My... I i
11: have not shown you my biggest bargain yet.
9: You mean you've got a dog sled or something? <laughs>
11: no, no. Now, step right over here. Here's a late 1916 electric limousine. Yeah.
7: Now, I ask you. What would Edgar do with an old electric limousine? Oh, you're always thinking about Edgar.
6: What am I going to do with a thing? <laughs>
11: well, there's an item that will appeal to him, though. It doesn't use any gasoline. All you have to do is to plug it in and it runs.
7: Well, yes, but you'd have to have an awful long extension cord, wouldn't you? <laughs>
11: The advantage of having a car that runs on batteries is that you can plug in an electric shaver. Yeah,
9: Bergen could even plug in
7: his heating pad, couldn't (laughs) he? Yes, but look, Uh, what if you come to a hill and you can't get enough juice from the batteries? Well, you just squeeze them (laughs) of them. But you
11: don't have to worry, gentlemen. I give you my word. And when Gladman Arnold gives you his word, watch out. True.
9: We've gathered
11: as much. Believe me, I stand behind every car I sell. Yeah, but do you help push them, too? You don't have to push this car. It'll run a hundred miles without stopping.
9: Yeah, well, if you want to go just ten miles, what do you do? Jump (laughs) off? Yes,
7: and look here. If it's so good, why did the last owner sell it? Yeah. Yes. He didn't like the windshield. Well, what was the matter? Too small? No, he kept going through it.
6: <laughs>
9: yeah. Well, in spite of all that, Rick,
7: I think we'll take it. Okay. Gross, splendid, yeah. splendid. Oh, splendid, splendid. Oh, and yes, we'd like it wrapped as a gift. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but before you wrap it up, uh, how much does it cost?
11: Well, how does $37,000 sound to you? 37000 Sounds to
9: me like you better see your doctor again
11: We'll give you 50 bucks Oh, sold, 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 yep (laughs) That's the way I like to do business No chiseling, no dickering Now, I'll wind up this little deal As soon as I call my legal advisor To draw up the bill of sale Oh,
9: wait, wait Coming, coming, friend Coming, (laughs) coming, friend Uh, uh, Here I am, Mr. Gladman. Why do I
11: always have to call you twice? Well, for goodness sake, my
9: gosh I have to get my portfolio. <laughs> are you really a lawyer? Oh, yes. Why, why, I, I am Ursel Twing of the legal firm of Twing, Wing, Ping and Pong.
6: <laughs> and
9: I, I am Mr. Arnold's legal advisor. You are? Well, well no, I, I really don't know whether I'm legal or not because, you see, I lost my birth certificate. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
11: He's always complaining about something.
9: Yeah. Did you ever win a case? Oh, yes. Why, I'll never forget the case of, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Jones versus Jones. Uh Oh. Or was it the other way around? (laughs) Well, tell me, is this car clear or does it have a lean on it? A lean? uh, Well, it just looks like it leans uh, because the front spring is broken.
6: The front spring is broken. (laughs) Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs>
9: You're just so funny uh, You, 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 you kill me
11: All right, you asked for it <laughs>
6: Oh, I've been stabbed <laughs> Say
5: what?
11: Why did you shoot him? Why did I shoot him? Yeah. So? Well, I just
7: can't stand anybody around
11: that's not happy. Yeah. By the way, how do you feel, Charlie? Oh, I
6: uh, I uh... Yeah. <laughs>
9: Well, Charlie, next Sunday is really going to be a big day for us. Yeah, it's going to be homecoming week at Jason Sanborn. Just think, Dorothy Lamora will be here. And Don Michi, Nelson Eddy. Rudy Valley. Wow, I'm going to listen in. (laughs) What am I saying? I'm going to be here, too.
8: (laughs) Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. This is Ken Carpenter speaking to you from the Pasadena Playhouse, Pasadena, California. Remember the letters, S-N-E, flavor,
6: nutrition, economy because...
3: Flavor? Yes, Blue Bonnet Margarine gives you delicious flavor. Fresh, delicate, country sweet. It's an all-American product made from pure, wholesome products of fine American farms. Nutrition? Yes, proved nutrition. Blue Bonnet Margarine is rich in food energy, rich in vitamin A. Economy? Yes, Blue Bonnet saves you real money. But the biggest reason for getting it is because it tastes so good. All table spreads are scarce right now, so your grocer may not always have Blue Bonnet. But keep looking, asking. Blue Bonnet's too good to miss.
6: Remember the letters F-N-E For flavor, nutrition, economy Buy Blue Bonnet, yes, sir. Blue Bonnet, margarine, gives all three
7: This is NBC, the
8: national broadcasting company.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Dragnet, followed by George Burns and Gracie Allen. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is
0: proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.